This is Energy Solutions, a podcast from the Electric Power Supply Association, where we unpack the stories and trends behind America's changing electric grid. I'm your host, Todd Snitchler, EPSA's president and CEO. We rely on electricity for almost every aspect of modern life, from brushing our teeth to powering life-saving operations. In recent weeks, the fundamental reliability of electricity has been called into question. The electric power supply industry and grid operators have issued warnings that the American electric grid may be in for a difficult summer and customers across the country face the possibility of rolling blackouts or power rationing. In FERC's 2022 Summer Energy Market and Reliability Assessment, the agency acknowledges that we are in for another hot summer with severe and extreme drought conditions across the western half of the country. Also, according to the North American Electric Reliability Corporation's Summer Risk Assessment, Parts of North America are at an elevated risk or high risk of energy shortfalls. The NERC report states that as generation is shifted to intermittent resources that are dependent upon weather conditions, America's power generation has become sensitive to extreme, widespread, and long-duration temperatures as well as wind and solar droughts. Reserve margins, or the amount of power that's available in excess of demand, has been shrinking across the country as retirements of existing resources accelerate, investments in traditionally reliable resources decline, and renewable installations increase. Why is this? In MISO, generation capacity has declined 2.3% since 2021, resulting in a lower reserve margin. In ERCOT, or the Texas area, extreme demand, low wind, and high thermal generation outages, transmission projects needed to integrate new generation resources are delayed. And in the West, hydro generation is down due to drought and low snowpack. These are only a few examples of the circumstances surrounding these predictions. And if we continue to increase the saturation of renewable energy in our grid, we are going to have to navigate this terrain better. But how? What is needed and who from? Let's go back to our competitive power summit in March. The first speaker I'd like to highlight is Jim Robb, president and CEO of the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, or NERC. NERC's mission is to ensure the effective and efficient reduction of risks to the reliability and security of the power grid. In other words, he is really the chief reliability officer for North America, and he outlined the landscape and a few must-dos for system planners and policymakers alike. The last two years brought, I think, extraordinary clarity to the risks that we have embedded in the system, driven by changing climate dynamics, these weather systems that are, we call them longer, deeper, broader, longer in duration, big issue if you're working off of inventory fuels, deeper, right, more extreme temperatures, whether either hotter than anticipated or colder than anticipated. And uh, and more importantly, from a utility perspective, is broader in terms of the breadth of the country that's impacted. So you think about these heat domes that we've had in the West, the winter storm Uri is a great example. And that's a real problem because utilities can't rely as much on transfers to bail them out when they're affected because everybody's affected. We did a little look through our situation awareness database during winter storm Uri. We could have found the generation that would have preserved ERCOT's ability to serve load, but we'd be wheeling it from peninsular Florida and Montana and and places like that. And the cost to build that transmission is ungodly. So it's a very, very different world. I think the second thing we've got to realize is that these weather systems are also impacting the generation fleet's ability to perform, basically because of fuel. Right. Our fuel supply is increasingly dependent on weather. 
That's you know, clearly true in the case of wind and solar, but also true of natural gas, right? particularly during cold events. The gas won't show up because it'll be preserved to serve LDC load in every jurisdiction that I know of. So that becomes a real issue as well. And then the third compounding factor is that our demand for reliability is high and will only go up. As, as we push to electrify more and more parts of the economy, you know, our tolerance for even momentary outages or any sort of disruption is going to go to zero very, very quickly. So at a time where we're putting much more, I shouldn't say necessarily more risk, but different risks out on the system than what we've dealt with. So what does that all mean from a reliability perspective? One is we really need much, much better situation awareness between the system operators, the generators, and importantly, the fuel suppliers. Because that's been the one common link I've seen in our assessments of major reliability events driven by weather. That was true in 2011. It was true in the 2018 cold weather event and was certainly true in winter storm Uri. Right, The system operator and the generators just didn't know whether their fuel was going to show up, what their plant could perform to. And so the operators are, are scrambling, trying to make decisions in real time that they should have had the ability to plan for. So finding some mechanism to get uh, much better situation awareness uh, across the system is a really important deal. I think the second thing that we have to come to grips with is that the way we've thought about reliability and resource adequacy absolutely needs to change. Right? We've spent all of our time, all of us in this room grew up in a world where you look to see what your peak load was going to be, make sure you had enough capacity to serve that plus a margin, and then you figured you could serve every other hour of the year. You can't do that anymore because the, the fuel supply is no longer guaranteed to be there. So we really need to change our mindset away from uh, capacity and a reserve margin equaling reliability to the ability to really assess, can we perform, can we deliver energy to customers as demanded 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year? And that requires a very different mindset and different planning paradigm. So those are the two things that jump out at me, right? The, the way we plan and operate the system and then the need for new situation awareness for these extreme weather events, which frankly may be extreme, but they're not uncommon and becoming more routine. Jim's comments focus on improving the way we plan and operate the system and an equally important need for new situational awareness across all the puts and takes of the grid. He astutely notes that these weather events may be extreme, but they're not uncommon and becoming more and more routine. Our next panelist, Manu Asana, president and CEO of the PJM Interconnection, agreed with Jim's assessment of the importance of situational awareness and coordination. Manu then went on to address the global issue of climate change and the role that competitive markets have to play. On one hand, you have climate change, and I absolutely believe climate change is real and it is affecting our industry, and we need to plan for it, and we need to try to limit, this is my personal view, the harm from climate change to something that we can live with as a species. On the other hand, you've got security of supply, you've got fuel security, which has been made much worse by the Russia-Ukraine crisis. You've got affordability, and as Jim said, ERCOT was a really sobering reminder that modern society has no tolerance for extended power outages. And we're in this period of a lot of transition, a lot of churn, and it's being driven by policymakers, it's being driven by consumers, as Todd said in his opening address, it's being driven by technology changes. And we're not a policymaker, so we see our role as trying to enable reliability and affordability 
through this transition, but to help and to facilitate the achievement of our policymakers' objectives. That's a lot <laughs> of transition all at once. And it's a lot to ask of one market, one set of markets. We've got one capacity market, one energy market, one set of ancillary services market. So how is one set of markets going to achieve all of those objectives for all of those different policymakers when the objectives aren't, they seem to be directionally the same and grappling with the same two overarching themes, but they're not the same. We have 13 jurisdictions and the District of Columbia, and all of their objectives are somewhat different. And so I think it's tempting to say, let's go back to a lack of markets. Let's go back to just central planning. And I think that would be a huge mistake. I think that markets, PGM's markets alone, but markets of our neighboring systems across the country and across the world have already demonstrated that they can facilitate a significant transition. If you think back to that chart that Dodd threw up around PGM emissions going down 39% since the market opened, 33% in the last 15 years, that transition was facilitated by markets, by competition. And I strongly believe that markets will be the best way to facilitate the coming transition. Manu is correct. For the past 20 years, competitive power markets have proven that we are capable of supplying reliable, affordable, and increasingly clean power to millions of Americans. But we're asking more from our grid and more from our markets things the construct wasn't designed to manage or value in its current design. So do we scrap the market concept and go back to central planning? No, the markets should evolve and policymakers should allow that evolution in a way that prioritizes reliability as much as emissions reductions. Our next panelist, Thad Hill, is president and CEO of Calpine, and he addressed this evolution in his comments on what markets need and how policymaker decisions are impacting the focus of reliability in those markets. So what does it take to make a market work? And we're going to talk about all kinds of changes. And I agree with Manu that the markets are going to have to evolve to the new reality. And they're absolutely going to have to evolve. And we'll talk about all that. But what is bedrock is that the investors actually believe they have a fair shot turn their return on and return of capital over time. And if you can establish an environment what the new rules over time may have to be, where investors get comfortable that you can get a return of and a return on capital, the capital will absolutely flow. And, and so as we go through this conversation, and we'll talk about a lot of things, I think the question should be, what can we do in the new market designs where investors know they have the return of and return on capital? Because if investors are not comfortable with that, and we've seen this play out in California, where there hasn't been a new megawatt built, in 20 years without a state contract or a state-approved contract. Central planning all over again. I don't think we want that. We have got to come up with mechanisms that allow that confidence and the risk capital will flow. Each of the regions are different. Right. I think everybody here has laid out a great reason why the complexity and the need for change and the case for change and the importance of markets. But, but I do want to pause for a minute, Nancy, sure. in the current policy environment we're in because it's a little concerning. States are obviously looking to determine their own resource mix. There is an all-government approach by the current administration to push rules, and we're seeing some unprecedented regulatory actions that are occurring. At the time we're talking about these reliability events, 
we are seeing changes to major tariffs in the markets where it's about emissions first, cost second, and reliability third. The Manu just talked about his task force. Let me be clear, PJM market, I mentioned earlier all the statistics, the market's been working. FERC pushed PJM and PJM complied with actually removing uh, a non-discriminatory tariff, separately having nothing to do with PJM itself, but FERC also has removed something called the market seller offer cap, which I won't go into details with, except to say it's price suppressive. So now Manu has watched phase two of his effort, which he has to and we're fully supportive and look forward to engaging. But phase two is about how you ensure reliability. The discussion to accommodate this other stuff has already been made, and now we're talking about reliability second. And in my view, and I think in a lot of people's view, that's a cart before the horse problem. We should have been talking about reliability first and how we actually achieve reliability and the emissions target in this new world. Instead, we're accommodating. There is a way to make all this work, but I don't know why we're talking about reliability second. And that, to me, has been a real change. We absolutely agree with that and don't understand why policymakers are talking about reliability second. Can we address the reliability concerns and meet policymakers' ambitious climate goals? Absolutely, with thoughtful, deliberate planning, not haphazard decisions that are made in a vacuum. As Devin Hartman, Policy Director, Energy and Environmental Policy Resident and Senior Fellow at the R Street Institute pointed out, the patchwork of stakeholder interest doesn't make it easy, but it is possible. I think what we actually have foremost is a reliability and cost education problem. There are folks, a sizable population, that genuinely believe that we can just force all natural gas off the system nationwide this decade and replace it with renewables and costs will go down and reliability will be maintained. And they, they honestly believe that means that we have a stronger role to play in, in educating policymakers and understanding these mechanisms. How do markets drive entry and exit? How do they manage risk? What is the technical parameter of this industry and how do you put that into a market platform that lets, in this case, imperfect substitutes compete with one another on their merits? And if you get that market design correct, guess what? You're gonna have your cost minimization and your reliability obligations met. But that requires a great deal of unpacking for a lot of folks and a lot of the grassroots movement is catching up to speed. But even in the states that a lot of times I think have the perception of not caring about reliability, when they do have a reliability event, talk to the governor's office right. and we see what happens. So we need to have this conversation and I think reliability institutions like NERC actually have a stronger role going forward to help provide those metrics and to provide that educational value in reaching out to stakeholders. For example, even down within the industry, PUCs are really struggling with prudency decisions now. They're looking at this and saying, wow, we don't even understand. You talk about ramp. Ramp is something that's never been classically built into IRP considerations, right? And they're really struggling to operationalize it at that level. Increasingly, reliability, cost, and environmental performance are a function of regional portfolio conditions. And that means that for any entities, individual utilities, or even states acting in a silo, you actually have to have enhanced information flows and better coordination. Ideally, that's through a market mechanism, or at least not undermining markets through symbolically driven policies. And I think we can sort of forge a new consensus that kind of addresses all of these objectives through a market-driven transition, but it's going to take a lot of legwork.
EPSA certainly stands ready to work with a variety of stakeholders here to prioritize reliability in these crucial energy transition discussions. As FERC Chairman Glick has been renominated to lead the agency for another term, we sincerely hope that he too prioritizes reliability above all other policy considerations. When we asked our panelists what they'd asked for from FERC if they had a magic wand, Manu responded on behalf of the entire panel. Sure, yeah. And I think this ask is for all of us. And I think it's sometimes convenient to ask FERC for something, but actually we <laughs> put forth normally right. to FERC our proposals. And so this is for all of us. And I think particularly relevant perhaps to this group of folks. I hear regularly from our generator community and others that the pace of change of rules, market rules, is too much. It's making it hard for market outcomes to be predictable and is having an effect on financing. And so I think this is an ask for all of us, broadly, including FERC, but really starting with us, is let's accept that there's no perfect answer. Let's get to a consensus set of answers and let's let them run for a period of time unless there's a real issue. I think that rule stability is something we should all strive for. We've just skimmed the surface in terms of balancing market needs and policymaker desires as we move forward in the energy transition. But there is one notion that rings louder than all the rest. Reliability is paramount. Without a reliable grid, the rest of the policies simply don't matter. The tragic and extensive power outages in Texas last winter, along with the summer resource challenges much of the United States is experiencing, highlight the importance of a demonstrable commitment to power system reliability. EPSA and its members will continue to provide market-based solutions that prioritize reliability, diversify energy resources, and reduce emissions at the least cost to consumers. The challenges we face are not insurmountable, and we are ready to continue working with federal and state policymakers to advance sound energy solutions. For more information about reliability, please visit our website at epsa.org and follow us on Twitter at EPSA News and LinkedIn at Electric Power Supply Association.